No. So we are live in three, two, one. Greetings and welcome to Beatles Stuffology, where two old friends sit around and talk BS, Beatles stuff, on a track by track basis, pretty much for the sake of it. My name is JG McQuarrie, and I'm here with my co host Andrew Deacon. Say hi, Andrew. Hey, baby, how you doing? I'm doing all right, sweet cheeks. How are you doing? Um, yeah, good. The sun is out, the sky is blue, it's beautiful, and so are you. Ah, thank you. You're too kind. But it's going to be a while before we get to discuss that. It is. I know, I know. We're approaching Valentine's Day, so, uh, um, hey, listener, guess what? Um, you might get to hear this on the day it's recorded, assuming we don't talk over each other a lot, and, uh, and JG has to do lots of editing. Uh, so it'll be interesting. So it's currently in the UK, 20 minutes past one in the afternoon, on the 10th of February. Let's see how quickly he can get this episode out. Yeah, that's, that's my challenge for the day. I've just moved house, so uh, it's been a while since we've talked to each other. Um, yeah. I've moved back to my beloved Glasgow, and uh, unfortunately that's meant we haven't had much time to record. So this is the day we would normally get stuff out. Let's see if we make it. We are going to be discussing Everybody's Trying to Be My Baby this week. So we are finally bringing Beatles for Sale to its conclusion. What do you think of this one? Well, I'm just thinking that I'm a, I'm a, I'm honey from the tree, and you know, and I'm just gonna pull myself down and call, call it me. I mean, I, I, I love all of that. Um, um, I, I, I do like this song, um, and I think when I, I don't listen to it for a while, I forget just how how good and funny it is as a song. But I'm talking about the song there rather than. The, the recorded Beatles version, um, which is a different kettle of fish entirely, because I think you can talk about the song, you can talk about the song as it was played in the Beatles live set, and you can talk about the recording that ends up on Beatles for Sale, and you can say substantially different things about each of them. So there's a little tease. What about you, JG? Um, I I like not love it. I kind of I want to make a I want to make a joke about this album sort of having a sort of farting its way to a conclusion, but it's not really fair. Um, I did end up liking this song much more than I was expecting to. Kind of going into it, I wasn't dreading it exactly. Uh, you know, it's no Mister Moonlight, but at the same time, I, I found it pretty hard to get that excited about it. And then I listened to it and went. Actually, this is pretty good. I actually kind of like this. There's, there, there's not an awful lot which is uh, going wrong here. And it's really nice to have a song where we can substantively talk about the live performance. It's been a while since we really had much of an opportunity to do that. Um, and so, yeah, no, it, it, I, certainly as far as the album version is concerned, it's, it's, it's far from flawless, as we will discuss. But uh, it's, it's, it was, yeah, better than I was expecting. So should we should we start with with the song itself, yes, and then move on to then maybe move on to the recording, and then maybe move on to the the live elements. That um, sounds like a good so, plan to me. Okay, so um, obviously we need to talk about Carl Perkins, or do we? Mm, ah, well, ah. well, you know it is quite interesting um, to to consider the fact that obviously Perkins recorded this. Um, back in, you know, the, his heyday, as it were, of success, not that long after the success of Blue Suede Shoes, which is really his only substantial chart hit outside of the, the country charts. 
But of course, there is also this this version of it by Rex Griffin from 1936, which is a whole load of fun. And if you like your your country music with yodeling in, it is worth a listen because it's it's a blast. I can't really, with my old man's ears, make out exactly what he's singing in the verses. And the verses are different to the um, the Perkins version. So if Perkins had heard this and had written his own version of, he has done a lot of work on, on the verses. But the chorus is pretty much the same. But then why would you change it when it's actually a, you know, a fun chorus? And, you know, you're not going to muck about with the words because it's nice and simple everybody's trying to be my baby everybody's trying to be my baby everybody's trying to be my baby now and i like you get that um that that sort of closure on the end of the line slightly different in terms of of the words on the rex griffin version but the tune is is identical and i wonder if if that's almost a sign of that that kind of i'm going to use that word that nascent um music scene that, um, that goes just beyond publishing but also then into recording where you know the rules are still being set down that copyright is is a loose thing perhaps you're not even certain who's heard what or maybe you take your inspirations and you then turn it into something um of your own so i don't know i don't know the the ins and outs of the story but i i would highly recommend that people go and listen to rex griffin's version um because it is a whole load of fun but then the Perkins version is a lot of fun and, and there is a sense of, of humour um, that's contained in this. And, you know, you do wonder a bit about um, Carl Perkins and that overnight success because he is one of those people, first major release, massive hit, goes from being, you know, country boy. In fact, he says himself, when you're a country boy just a month from the plough and suddenly you're a star with money in your pockets cars women big cities crowds the change is just too fast you're the same person inside but you're a star outside so you don't know how to act you're embarrassed about the way you talk the way you eat the way you look and as we've said on a, in a previous episode you know he's not necessarily the the most attractive of of, of the, the singers from that era so he must have found the whole thing hilarious. And I think that comes across in terms of the, the verses that he writes. But it is a fun song. It is a fun song. And it's it's pleasing because it, although it it has elements of self-deprecation in it, it, it doesn't lean too hard on them. I want to go back to what you were talking about slightly about the Rex Griffin version and the and the sort of more comedic element because I do think that works well and that sort of that codification of of songs as they move into publishing and and songwriting really is something which becomes uh, much more strongly defined in the in the 40s and 50s and you know that's not just true of the country scene it's it's true of a lot of kind of the blues scene as well where lots of songs lots of lyrics lots of chord progressions would simply be swapped left right and center because they were all kind of I don't want to use the word melting pot, but um, smorgasbord, I don't know, whatever whatever word you want to choose. Um, it's all in the mix, let's say it that way. Um, and yeah, things like um, copyright, things like, oh, well, you know, I just took a, uh, a chorus from here or a line from there. You know, it's still going on in the 60s when the Beatles kick off. You know, it's still very much an element. Uh, Lennon and McCartney are, are, have been quite upfront about where... Uh, they lifted inspiration, shall we say, from to say nothing of, you know, obviously come together and, and that whole story. Uh, it, it, it's 
kind of interesting. I, I, I kind of want to make a joke about subconscious plagiarism here, but I don't think it was subconscious at all. I think it was, I think it was extremely conscious. As you say, the melody is, uh, is pretty much identical. Um, and, and, you know, all the better all the better for it. And the way that those um, writing credits go, it, it would be interesting to know from a contemporary setting whether uh, Rex Griffith or, or the estate thereof would, would have kind of legitimate claim to it. Um, but the Carl, Ver- Carl Perkins version is just great. I mean, it, whatever else it is, it's, it is better than the Rex Griffin version. And that's not to put the Rex Griffin version down. It's just to put the Carl Perkins version up. I do wonder if there's there's a, a a parallel with with what's happening with Beatles for Sale in that you have massive success, you need to get back in the studio, you don't quite have enough songs, so you pull on your influences, and you know the Beatles clearly padded out the album with with some covers. Perhaps Carl Perkins was you know a fan of the song and thought he could put his own spin on it saves a bit of time in terms of of recording right let's get it done and let's put it out although i think there was quite a big period of um of time between um him actually recording it and it being um released for for various reasons but it is it's it's i mean it's it's quite interesting the the sort of the differences the views that you can have about the song but i like what in um and his book yeah 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 um you know bob stanley's um, comment about it when he, he says it's a beautifully self-deprecating thing and and I think that's right um, because you know the honey you know fabulous you know um, honey gets used a lot as an, an illusion in terms of attractiveness and, and sexuality and oh that meaning's probably changed significantly in the last 20-30 years as well but I just love the idea that he's describing self um, as, as you know as being honey um, you know beautiful image um, and it's not very often at the minute that we talk about the beautiful images that are created um, in in terms of the the lyrics of the time you could argue that there's, there's an element of of misogyny in terms of the fact that you know women are just throwing himself at themselves at his door I guess so but I, I don't. I don't know. To... I wouldn't. I wouldn't lean too hard on that. I mean, the whole the whole point is exactly the quotation you just read out. Like that's what happened to him. It's not something which is which is leaning hard on that. And and actually having honey as a description of the man in this song rather than the woman in this song is it actually kind of plays against that kind of reading. That's that's not how we would normally have honey used in a in a in a sort of contemporary song like that. In, in fairness, I am I am just sort of putting it out there, recognizing the fact that. It is perfectly possible to take that um, as a potential reading, mm. but I am choosing uh, not to do so due to the fact that it's a bunch of fun. Hey, man, it's fun. Let's have fun. Can't argue with this. There's also a really nice looseness about the Carl Perkins version as well. Yeah. It, 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 it feels kind of... Um, I don't know, it feels like a comfy big cult, you know? It's, it's got this nice looseness to it that, that doesn't... Um, doesn't mean it becomes like the, the, the self-deprecating element could become a little overbearing. I've, I'm really glad it's George that sings this song and not 
not John, for example, uh, because I think a Lennon vocal in this would lean too hard into the self-deprecation. And whilst you know George's vocal, uh, which we'll come to, isn't isn't you know laced with humor, like the the Carl Perkins version is really relaxed. Like he's a his tongue is fully in his cheek. He is aware of what he is doing, uh, and the nice looseness around the melody, the looseness of the the vocal around the chord changes, does give it that very kind of warm lived in kind of song that that is self-aware without just tipping into you know too many sort of nods and winks uh, at the microphone so yeah it's it, it's just such a such a lovely little version and uh, i mean let's be you know clear as well i mean i i know i'm talking about perkins having had you know a big hit first off and then you know less than his impact he is a big deal and he is someone that that we know that both um George Harrison and Paul McCartney in particular revered partly because of their their later associations with him um but I think it is significant that um you know George recognized just how big an influence Carl Perkins was on his guitar playing but then you know you look at the wider cultural impact as well and you know well talk about his big hit being blue suede shoes well there was some other guy at the time who who had a massive hit with that as well. With yeah, you tossed that reference of, away of very copies. easily. I know, so <laughs> we ought to, to be aware of that. And then when, um, you know, Elvis needed a bit of sort of fun and relaxation and just bowled up after his son recording studio days, uh, bowled up to the studio and, and wanted to have some fun, he bowled up to a studio where Carl Perkins, um, Jerry Lewis and Johnny Cash were just happened to be together um, and those recordings are available under the moniker of the Million Dollar Quartet. Now, I'm not going to suggest for a moment that there are um, that it's a major piece of work. I mean, it's certainly Elvis having fun and having listened to a reasonable chunk of it. There are it's it's like there are bits of songs, but it sounds as you were talking about with everybody's trying to be my baby. It's loose and and the sound of people enjoying each other's company in the studio playing bits of songs and, and having a go at things and and just having a really, really good time in a way that you know Elvis is not really having um, that much more and certainly then after his army days in terms of um, the, the recording output, um, you wonder how much he, he really liked singing songs like Wooden Heart. But um, but that's that's for that's for another podcast to delve into. Um, um, anyway but then also Perkins his influence carried on um, because then in, in 77 after Elvis's death you then get the um, um, the remaining members of the quartet together then with, with Roy Orbison singing a, a tribute to Elvis um, this train is bound for glory this train anyway um, it, it's fabulous there's, there's a, it, it, it's, it's one of those kind of gospel type songs that they're, I mean, the, the four of them are just awesome in terms of their voice, um, but just awful, awful in terms of their clothes and hair. Um, and and if, if you watch it as well, they come together on a stage, on the stage in a way that seems it's in keeping with an episode of Morecambe and Wise. Um, there's a, a reference for our majority American audience to, to look up. And you sort of imagine that, that Morecambe and Wise, that, comedians Morecambe and Wise um, are going to come out from behind the curtains and then start to perhaps um, interact with them and and you know play around in a way that is 
uh, that they don't do because there's, there's a seriousness to what they're doing an earnestness to what they're doing that those Morecambe and Wise um, episodes in the 70s really kind of undercut in a way that, that still is amazing in terms of British comedy culture but then they come back for more 82 you have the wonderfully titled Survivors you know um, Perkins, Lewis and Cash um, touring together as well and then you get the Orbison back in 86 with the the class of 55 in which they have some really good songs but some really terrible 80s production values that you know you just sort of feel that that what you wanted was and we'll, we'll mention him perhaps a little bit later again you know someone of of the 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 sympathy of rick rubin to come in and and to strip them down and record them properly not add in these kind of 80s horns and keyboards and effects and and it's just i love early 80s music but i think around about the mid 80s is when production gets far too professional and slick and, and that's a little bit like what this this feels like but you know there's a reason why they keep coming back together and it wouldn't entirely be because of career successes i mean it might be that they're in a you know haircuts anonymous uh, type situation and perhaps they come back together to say hi my name's Roy and I have really really terrible hair um, and then maybe they're, they're a support group in that sense which would be quite nice to think as well because their record sales are not great no although Johnny Cash had a, a very successful album in in 76 and then kind of lingered in um, maybe the 20s and the 30s of, of the, the American charts the album charts for a while for a few records after that perhaps better on, on the country ones, but, you know, great voices, awful, awful clothes and hair. It's just, um, it's a joy to watch, but it's also reminds me of watching Doctor Who as a child, that cliche about watching it through your fingertips. You think, I'll, I'll just listen instead. Much more fun yeah. that way. Well, you know, the, the, the costumes are always better on the radio, right? Um, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, the whole thing with Roy Orbison is interesting as well, because, of course, the whole idea that he was involved in something like the traveling wilburys almost seemed laughable and yet you know he was career-wise nothing you know that he was literally just on the path to redemption when when he died and that was what 1988 so yeah absolutely it's 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 funny to think of these people in in that kind of context but you know they weren't selling records they weren't having the big hits and when it comes to somebody like carl perkins like uh, you know the, the the names the four names that you reeled off there uh, you know in in public consciousness i would suspect that carl perkins is very very much the least of them and yet that influence ranges so far and you know it's it's an influence which I mean, obviously we're going to talk about it in the context of the beatles and and the way that uh, you know it profoundly affected and influenced them but you know that influence that's that's not even a hundredth or a thousandth of the influence that, that, that his music has had. Incidentally, I have to say I'm extremely disappointed about something because I, I had my pen hovering over the uh, Beatles Stuffology bingo card and I was certain you Ooh. were going to do a tug of war reference, but you didn't. So I'm just um, coming to it. Okay, okay, hold oh, no, on, I've got off too soon. <laughs> no, just, just a reminder, of course, that I mentioned the Survivors in 82, that that's that circa, uh, yeah, that's circa know, tug, of, tug of war, war and yeah. uh, you've got to get it. Um, which, which is, which great is fun, a fun little ditty that sounds a lot like the fun little ditties that Cole Perkins is, is coming out with on on things like, um, you know, um, 
well, everybody's trying to be my baby. There, there are similarities. Say, yeah, no, I wouldn't overlook that. No, 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 no. That's that's far too important a thing to uh, to mention. Thank you for getting it in. That saves me trying to 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 crowbar that in. Um, yeah, and my pleasure. No, it's fine. That's that's all right. That's okay. Um, the 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 combination is of course quite interesting because they are all slightly different. You know, Jerry Lee Lewis. You know, more that kind of rock and roll Johnny Cash, the country element. There's a rockabilly country kind of thing about um, Carl Perkins. And, you know, it does work. Um, I wasn't really very aware of, of Johnny Cash growing up. Um, I think maybe one or two songs. Um, it was a boy named Sue, his, I think. Yeah, it, was yeah, more yeah, that, yeah. it was that kind of thing. Um, and obviously everyone made a joke about Ring of Fire when you went out for a curry. Oh, um, um, okay, maybe that one's lost on, on, on a lot of our audience, but never mind. And But I was conscious of, um, obviously, you know, Perkins through having bought Tuck of War. that album um, as, a, um, as a, a youngster. But I do remember Jerry Lee Lewis turning up on, um, on, on chat shows in the UK possibly around the time that Great Balls of Fire came out with Dennis Quaid, but I think a little bit earlier. I think he did try and come over and have some shows. I, I just seem to remember him turning up on, on a um, chat show hosted by someone called Michael Aspel um, on on ITV over here. Um, and I don't think I knew at the time about some of the issues relating to his relationships very Shall delicately put. Yeah, um, but yeah, certainly he was a um, um, a fiery character, um, and I don't know. You know, I'm, I'm sure there are plenty of people who cite him as a major influence. I don't know how much some people would want to get past some of his um, choices. Shall we say? choices but oh, you're gripping in diplomacy this episode i don't know i, I don't know why um i really don't know why by the way worth mentioning i know you mentioned um um and the 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 traveling wilburys link um i just got two more things to say about roy orbison even though it's completely unrelated to the episode it's just useful useful detail all around i think if i haven't said it before on this podcast dear listener do let me know if i've, I've repeated myself um that actually the in terms of that Roy Orbison comeback in the, the mid to late 80s, by far the best track that he produced was on the, the Mystery Girl album, which was an Elvis Costello uh, song called The Comedians, which is just absolutely um, phenomenal. And it was on the live Black and White Night um, as well. Um, really, really good. And I love that song. Um, so that's worth looking out. And the other Roy Orbison thing I was going to mention it. This is this this will bring us back to the song. You'll like this. I mean that we we've talked about the link between um, the Rex Griffin and the Carl Perkins version. There's also a song called Everybody Wants You by Weldon Rogers. Um, I mean I, I could at this stage go into the fact there's there's also um, um, a woman who sings on that song. Um, I'm just going to bring her name up. That's the click you can hear me making. Um, uh, Wanda Fay, um, and you know, if we were gonna gonna sort of extend this even long, then I could make links to New Mexico, which seem to be coming up with increasing frequency 
because uh, she was born in Roswell, New Mexico, um, about 100 miles from Clovis, see previous episodes. But the reason for mentioning um, that version is it is pretty similar. Uh, there's really good harmonies between the two of them on there. But Weldon Rogers seems to be slightly more famous as a producer and the producer of a band um, in 56 called the Teen Kings. And the Teen Kings included the King of Hair, the Big O himself. Pause, natural break, insert adverts there. Oh no, we don't have adverts. Okay, right, um, on to the next thing. Excellent. Okay, well, I'm just going to slightly follow that up um, by saying that <laughs> even although I'm not necessarily always a fan of his music, I think um, Roy Orbison's voice is one of the great achievements of Western civilization. I just genuinely think it's so unique and so special. Um, and although, I mean, I like some Roy Orbison songs, of course I do, but um, I just adore his voice. It's wonderful. Right, let's move to the Beatles oh, version. I, I'm just going to do a smash just... cut. <laughs> No, no, no. I, I just need to say, because I, obviously I'm quite conscious about the fact that I've been really rude about his hair. If it turns out my, my knowledge is, is so poor and that, that he had uh, a condition or alopecia and something, and therefore, um, you know, that's why he had a particular hair or bought wigs from a particular store, then, then I would like to apologise to the, state, uh, the estate of Roy Orbison. I'm sure they will take that on, uh, under advisement and, and, and appreciate your kind words and consideration for a condition that may or may not exist. Right. OK, fine. Let's talk about the Beatles. We have to at some point. That's what we're here for. So, um, yeah. So we've said really nice things about this song. We said really nice stuff about Carl Perkins and, and lots of lots of really kind of interesting sort of uh, musical roots and, and, and sort of branches and all that kind of stuff. The Beatles version's all right. Yeah, yeah. Maybe at this point it's worth um, um, sort of drawing on um, on McDonald um, because he is, you know, he, he basically highlights the fact that they, they, were, they were running out of songs and they recorded three covers um, um, in an hour, of which this was the first. Um, and, and in fact, he even uses the, the term knocked out. So... Um, yeah, they knocked out three covers in the last hour of the Sunday session. He says it's more or less identical to the original, which is fine. Um, false Not joking, quite true, but ending. fine. Well, okay, fair enough. And it says the odd, an odd mistake in the introduction where Harrison's voice and Lennon guitar, Lennon's guitar, are two beats out of sync. Well, that I mean that's interesting because I, I find those those pauses are really uncomfortable, and I, I sort of just imagine this picture in my head where where George Harrison is like an actor on stage and he's just kind of shouting, line, because it's almost like he's forgotten the words. Like, come on, George, you're meant to be singing here. Come on, come on. It's the pauses, there's two massive pauses between, well, I took some honey and from a tree and dressed it up and they call it me. And it just sounds like he's forgotten the words. Well, and it's a measure of just how little effort they were putting in that it wasn't even... I mean, the, you know, the song's been going for 10 whole seconds at that point and, and they didn't stop and just start it up again. Like, even even given they were knocking three out in an hour, like, you know, losing losing 10 seconds. All right, sorry, it made a mess of that. Can we go again, George? Lovely, thank you. It wasn't worth it. Nobody could. Nobody was putting in that much effort. And it's kind of a shame in a way because I think I think George's guitar licks are really well put together in this song. It's a very very simple song. It's got four chords in it. Two of them are E, 
and and E6. Uh, it's very straightforward, very easy to do, but it's got some really effective little flourishes. You know, George has absolutely nailed his like Carl Perkins impression in terms of uh, playing at this point, and and it it kind of it does. When I say it builds towards the end, I I don't mean that in anything other than a they just get a bit more comfortable as the song goes on kind of way it doesn't it doesn't build in the sense of drama it doesn't build in the sense of developing musical ideas or anything like that they just get better and by the time it bows out you know George has kind of found his feet only to discover the song's over but it's you know it 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 does have its charms it's not perfect but it does have its charms but that false start yeah it, it just indicates that that sense of okay right just do it one take apparently Mm, yeah, you'd never know. Yeah, um, it is interesting that they, they were clearly pushed and, and so therefore got this and then rock and roll music um, and I think Words of Love as well out of the way um, pretty quickly. Um, yeah, it's... Mm, yeah, I mean, that's not the only misstep on here. Um, there's the um, some... What I think is some really ridiculous double tracking Although I did read somewhere, I can't remember, so there was someone who, who called it the Steed effect. I don't know. Yeah, the was. big echo thing. Yeah, yeah but I, it just makes it sound really weird. and um, it, A bit thin. As, it makes as much his voice as, sound thin, and his voice already kind of sounds thin. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and I, I think for all the praise that George Martin rightly gets for believing in the Beatles I think there are still some really odd choices made at production um, at various points in their career and well firstly the decision not to record two takes of this is 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 one of them but secondly I mean maybe even the choice of putting it on the album is is also one we'll talk about that in a moment but yeah that that double tracking just I mean especially because let me see if I can put this delicately without upsetting too many of the, the George Harrison fan club. He's still finding his voice. He's not a great singer at this point. So to have two of him singing on this is effectively doubling the, you know, doubling the nasalisms um, at this point. And, you know, he's perfectly fine. It's, you know, give him his spot. Um, you know, but if I was to rate rate the, the the quality of the singers at this point in in the Beatles' career, I mean, he's he's going to be third, but he's going to be a distant third uh, at this point. And you know, I'm sorry if that upsets all of. I mean, I'm not sorry. You know, come at us, come at me, George Harrison fans. I don't mind. He is much better at singing this song in 1985, in that Carl Perkins and Friends version. He is really good on that. I mean, it doesn't really have the wit still, but then personally, I don't think George Harrison and wit in terms of singing and songs is hugely effective. Again, oh no, no I'm not even going to bother trying that. Um, just like with, with this, it, he, he sounds uncomfortable um, with it at various points until you get to the last chorus when he really goes for it and he sounds strong, which ironically is something that happens without getting too far ahead on some of the live versions you can hear as well. He really sounds like he's hit his stride. Or maybe he just knows that the song's nearly over and phew, thank God for that, we've got through it. But it just sounds 
Yeah. It is, it is odd. Um, I mean, apart from anything else, you know, when it comes to the live versions, they tend to, the, the ones which are there, so Hollywood Bullshit Stadium, are, are you know, later than this. So he's had time to get yeah. used to it. He's had time to perform and uh, he's had time to, to have that confidence build. It, it is. It does lack a slight conviction. And again, going back to the Perkins original, it, it does have that, it's that looseness, that, that, that ability to kind of shake the lyric around a wee bit, not hit everything square on the beat. That gives it its character, that gives it that extra little dimension. And that's what's kind of lacking a little bit in in the Beatles version. Again, it's not without its charms. It absolutely isn't. I don't want to sound like I'm being too critical. I started this recording by saying, you know, actually, I was pleasantly surprised by how good it, uh, how good it is. And I stand by that. I, this was much better than I expected it to be. But you can also see how much distance there still is to cover. And that's that's the kind of thing. It's, it's in that kind of middle ground. Um, it occurs to me, by the way, I should point out, because if, if, you know, our loyal listeners will probably be screaming at their podcast playing device of their choice the 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 thing that i've picked up on that i didn't like were the pauses at the start of the song and they'll say yeah but aren't you the guy that says that actually silence and pauses in songs um are amongst some of the best things that that you know and you know again the example that i often use is um kirsty mccall's um um you know pause before she calls cries out baby in you know they don't know which is just one of the the most thrilling moments in certainly in 80s pop um so i I should just point out i am aware of the irony but a pause is normally a good thing in this case it should have been a good thing it wasn't done right so there you go i did not enjoy that silence well, there's a difference between a pause and a mistake. I think that might be one of the things that helps to yeah. uh, delineate the difference there. Yeah, um, we're not talking the John Cale the... type pauses here. So. No, exactly. Uh, as with the rest of the band, it's it's another one of those um, cases where just just the lack of attention to detail kind of rings through it. Like there's an like McCartney's got an interesting baseline going on here. It's it's a walking baseline, but it's really nice, it's fluid, it's well put together, and it's also practically inaudible. It's really <laughs> low in the mix. It's really like if you're not paying attention to it, kind of just fades into the background. And again, this it's not a normal thing like of course we know that you know bass was much less prominent in the early recordings particularly when he was still playing the hoofner but it's just not there and it's just the attention to detail is is lacking it, it's such a shame because it's it's good work from him it, but it's just it's lost in the it's lost in the detail and that's that's a shame what was he playing a hoofner a hoofner that is, is, is this correct because you pronounce- lived in the netherlands You've checked the the pronunciation. That is the correct pronunciation of the make of that guitar. The um, the umlaut over the O makes it not Hofner, but Hofner. Actually, I I, I was watching a YouTube video about it and and that got picked up. I said, well, yeah, I probably should just pronounce it correctly. You know, it's not a massive issue to do that. So, yeah. I'm going to stick with Hofner for the time being because I feel like I'm being tripped here. So, uh, no, no, no. Straight up, Governor. You've educated us all, which, let's face it, is probably the first thing that has educated us on this podcast so far. (laughs) Hey, hey, hey. Happy to to add to our sum total of knowledge. Oh, and I am also prepared to say that um, I will will support your point about um, McCartney's bassline fading into the background because I didn't notice it. 
Okay, well, there we go. That's clear enough then. Refer back to earlier comments about George Martin. Um, yeah, there you go. Yeah, well, also this being the last song on the album, which we'll discuss more next week when we are uh, doing the whole album pass. But, like, this is a weird song to tail off the album. A lame finale, MacDonald calls it. Yeah, lame feels too strong, but yeah, also the sentiment is probably correct. Like this, uh, we, uh, we, I know we've talked before about the strength of album closers, but this this is the this is why I said at the start, you know, I kind of want to make a joke about it being a, a sort of bit of a wet fart of an ending to the album. It's not that, but it's not great. Like this album sequencing is, it, yeah, it, it it needs a bit of work. I gotta say. Yeah, I, I would say that's that's absolutely fair. Um, but I'll keep my powder dry on that until we actually have our, our full album discussion. Yeah, yeah. Okay, fair enough. In which case, I'll hang fire on that. Um, it, yeah, I'll just hang fire on that. Good, right. Um, yeah, live versions? Or have you got anything more to say about the studio version? Nah, that's be yeah. good for the studio version, I think. Okay. Um, you wanted to say something about the the live. I mean, we've we've kind of already hinted at um, some bits about the the live version. Um, you know, I think it's interesting that it was played at the Hollywood Bowl, but it only comes out on the 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 reissue um, um, of you know, the CD reissue release. Yeah, probably just release. Um, possibly, I think it might have been um, around the time of the 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 Ron Howard movie you know remember with the, the the title of the song as the film title that they didn't play live and it's about them playing live hey ron 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 hey ron ron um yeah but they're better aren't they oh god yeah they absolutely are better um there's the um there's there's three main live versions so there's the, the hollywood bowl there's the shea stadium one which is the one which is on anthology and then there's live at the bbc they're all just better they're confident um george has clearly hit his stride the timings are working properly it, it all just kind of hangs together the um hollywood bowl recording isn't great um, in, in terms of its its audio quality, uh, but the actual playing is is great. again like the bass is virtually inaudible and 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 you know those recordings they need the Peter Jackson treatment. Let's be honest, but for what we've got, it's terrific. Um, I think the Shea Stadium one is slightly better, uh, and the uh, uh, BBC one better still. But they're all great. They've all got like a sense of energy and pace and. That's kind of replacing like the humour and looseness of the Carl Perkins version, but it's an adequate replacement, and that's kind of what's missing in the studio version a wee bit. The live versions have found a way of giving George an energy that uh, enlivens the song, I suppose, whereas the studio version doesn't really have the energy of the live version and doesn't really have the, the looseness and, and, and fun of the uh, Perkins original. Um, and so, yeah, no, the live versions are, are pretty much better in every respect. So, two thoughts. One, just before we finish, it's just say the words Peter Jackson to me again because it reminded me of something that I meant to discuss with you before we started. So we may as well do it on um, on the podcast as well. But the, the other thought that occurred to me as you said that is I wonder how much say George got in deciding which songs he would sing. You know, because obviously, you know, he would have his spot, like Ringo would have his spot. And, you know, after the album came out, the song did go back into the, the live 
um, the live set, you know, a little bit more often. And I wonder if that was a choice by George or, or whether it was a, a, a group decision. Um, I, I don't know who made the decisions about what songs they were going to play, because the only time it's, it's ever occurred to me was when we were talking about Kansas City, when, of course, one of the few times they played it live was when they played in Kansas City, for example, which is obviously a, a deliberate choice. Um, but whether that's Brian or whether that's other the boys... I do not know. Um, so, hey, I would say that's something that we could look into. But unless you know, we'll probably forget. Yeah. Oh, well, no, I, I don't know. We'll definitely forget. Okay. Fair enough. But, okay. yeah, um, worth thinking about. Maybe he did like the song so much that he wanted to, to keep it in um, over perhaps one or two of his his own compositions at this point. But there you go. Um, yeah. That's one there for you dear listener to um um to put us right on please we'll go on. we'll look forward to that uh two two words for you peter jackson yeah okay i was i was going to mention this to you because i nearly had a um 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 a metaphorical heart attack the other day when um hearing about the grammys i'm, I'm not i mean awards don't really interest me but i did hear um a snippet um, and and it turns out, did you know the Beatles won a Grammy this week? Yeah, yeah. For I'm and only was, sleeping. Oh, oh, I, no, I see you spot it there. Because oh, they, sorry. Um, it was it would yeah they because they won it for best music video and and I thought, oh screw me, not that Peter Jackson piece of crap for uh, for now and then. I generally thought that that the Grammys had undermined whatever credibility that they may or may not have had by giving it to Peter Jackson for, um, you know that dirgy video to a company uh, now and then <sighs> imagine my my relief and surprise when i found out it was something a little bit more classy um than uh, than that so um yeah take that peter jackson okay well you've uh, certainly put him in his place and also yeah the video for now and then is a complete piece of shit right good we've cleared I was, that i was trying to do it without swearing but you, you no, just you, I just swear you just, just, you just did... had to to um, I would say lower the tone, um, but, but there you go. <laughs> apparently, um, the only thing I can find about um, um, Roy Roy Orbison, apparently his hair was virtually white and straw blonde. He dyed his his hair um, when he was still young, um, but apparently he was self conscious about his appearance. But there's nothing I can find um, that that suggests it was anything other than than a choice. In which case, you know, terrible, mm, terrible choice. Anyway, so if you want to comment on any of those issues, apparently you can really get a hold of us. You can really get a hold of us, and thank you. I do love a good link. Um, you can contact us by email. We are Beatlestuffology at gmail.com. Uh, we're on whatever is left of Twitter at Beatles underscore ology, and we're Beatlestuffology on Instagram. Uh, you can find my blog at www.jgmacquarie.scott, and please also check out my other podcast, which is Talking Trek to You, uh, where a noob and an expert uh, go through the original Star Trek series episode by episode. I am allegedly the expert, but, you know, 
maybe. Uh, anyway, please like, rate, and review us on whatever podcatcher you're using so that other people can find the show. It would be really nice. Uh, we do like to get reviews if anybody would like to leave them, and it's nice to be able to spread the love and spread the word. So if you have the opportunity to do so, uh, please do. Uh, before we sign off, we still have to score this song, though. So um, what would you like to give it, Andrew? Six. 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 Yeah. Uh, this is my favourite part of the episode so uh, um, you know I'm, I'm going to savour it um, by just telling you it and, and not justifying it and just saying okay. six fine All right. which probably That's actually fine. makes it the um, um, my, my best rated highest rated George Harrison song so far yeah, there we go okay lovely right we will leave the episode there um as alluded to earlier next episode we are going to be discussing the entirety of the album so uh, no one song and the whole package as it stands as always we hope you're going to join us for it but until then keep listening <laughs>